Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Coming up on episode 225 of Wheel Bearings, it's just Robbie and me, and we talk about the Hyundai Kona EV Limited, transitioning connected cars from 3G to 4G, expanding production of the Ford Mustang Mach-E, Elon Musk railing against EV incentives, the VW Camp VW ID Buzz Camper is coming, and the Tesla Cybertruck has just one windshield wiper. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 225 of Wheel Bearings. I am Sam Abul Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Digital Trends. And Nicole is off, uh, I think, taking a little vacation time this week. And then she'll be popping into where her daughter is going to college and driving back home back to New Hampshire with her daughter for the holidays. So she'll be back with us next week when we will, all three of us, we're, we're Believe it or not, the three of us were actually all in the same physical location for a short period of time earlier this week. Uh, it was for, weird. We yeah. talked about pie. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, in the in the five years of doing this show through the the various hosts, there has never been a time when all the hosts were actually physically present in the same location at once until this past Tuesday night. Wow. The first time ever. I could touch them. It was amazing. Yeah, and that was in, to be to be fair. That was the first time I think I've ever met Nicole in real life. Oh, really? Yeah, I think we've just sort of missed each other. I've seen you a ton of times. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but Nicole, uh, yeah, that's the first time I, I've ever seen Nicole in real life. So it was it was it was a nice uh, it was a nice 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 experience. And um, again, we talked about pie because of Nicole. I bought a pie. And then I transported it all over California and finally to my house like three days later. <laughs> uh, did, I, I saw one of your tweets, I think, where did the pie end up upside down at some point? The pie – okay, so I stuck it in the back of a car. I stuck it in the back of the um, the uh, AMG EQS upside down for just a split second. I stuck it in. I'm like, oh, no, and I flipped it back over. Um, so that, that that's when it, it may have uh, – yeah, so I decided not to look at the pie until <laughs> afterwards, like a little surprise. So by the time I got it home, it was more of a cobbler and less of a pie. Yeah, that's okay because, I mean, once it gets in your mouth, all the pieces get mixed up anyway. I mean, unless yeah. you're particular about, like, only eating crust and then only eating filling in separate bites. Nah, you know, but nah. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of pointless. I, I, when I, when I, um, I, I, I heated some up um, at home the other day, and I stuck it in the, our little toaster oven. And it went in upside down, and I'm like, you know what? At this point, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just warmed it up upside down, ate it. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so for, for, for the listeners, uh, we were driving the uh, Hyundai Ionic 5 earlier this week, and the drive impressions are still embargoed um, until next week. And when next week when Nicole's back, we will talk about that in, 
in, uh, in I'm sure, significant depth. But uh, the, the place where we had our lunch stop was in Julian, California. And across the street from the restaurant where we ate was the Julian Pie Company. I think it was the Julian Pie Company, right? The, yes, well, Julian yeah. Pie Company. And so uh, a number of people bought pies to take home with them. Uh, and I, I had a slice of the pie with my dessert for lunch, and it was most excellent. It was very good. And then and, and Nicole is the person who talked me into buying an entire pie. Because they're like, oh, you can get a pie. Because I was just going to go across the street <clears throat> the next day and get a donut and some cider. That's it. That's all I was yeah. going to get. And then I just kept hearing Nicole. She's like, you should get the apple berry one. And then that's what I got, the apple berry one. And then, I, uh, and then after I bought it, I was like, what am I going to do with this? Because I had another drive program with two other cars that are embargoed, two uh, Mercedes um, that I can't talk about now. But I had to just like – and I had to get on a plane with it and then multiple like – shuttles to and from the airport and is yeah by the time we got to my house it was at eight vehicles and two planes <laughs> I, I decided that you know i just didn't want to deal with having to carry a pie around through airports and <laughs> planes and stuff like that see you're the smart one I'm, yeah. I'm like pie but i got home and my wife who who spent half of her childhood in in san diego she's like oh a julian pie which i was like wow i didn't know this was yeah i guess this is really a thing. a thing in san diego there you go all right so well, with with that out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> our non-con related, car related rant. Is there is there is there anything that you've been driving that you can talk about this week? I you know what I drove. I'm, I'm right now. I'm behind the the wheel of the X5 uh, plug-in hybrid, but I just got it, so I haven't had a real chance to drive it yet. So I, I don't want to talk about it. I'll probably talk about uh, talk about it, uh, next week. Um, everything else I drove, I can't talk about. Yeah, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I can tell you that the uh, the X5 will fit a uh, two foot by four foot uh, piece of uh, MDF board in the back and uh, and polycarbonate with the back seats yeah. up. With the back seats down, it's oh, yeah, okay. it's pretty big. So that's 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 what I can tell you. And and uh, clear six foot long tubes, those will fit back there as well. That's that's. There you go. There's your car review, people. Put that on the internet. <laughs> we'll, we'll get more more detail on that next week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I I have had uh, I, you know after I got home on Thursday night from driving the newest Hyundai EV in California, I picked up from the airport the current Hyundai EV, which is the Kona Electric, which is the same thing that you and your wife own. We uh, bought it. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, so, so it's the, the 2022, 2022 Kona Electric, Electric. Uh, the limited. The limited is the one that I have. It it, it comes in two trim levels, uh, the SEL and the Limited, and <clears throat> the, it's been refreshed this year, uh, revised uh, front-end design, uh, some other some other trim changes, and they've pared it down to just the two trims, the SEL and the Limited, and the, they dropped the price on the SEL, so the base model now starts at just $34,000 sticker price, assuming, of course, that you can find one. And then the limited has pretty much all the options available on it. Uh, you know, so some of the things that you miss if you, uh, you know, if you opt for the SEL, and it may not be a miss depending on where you live and, and what your needs are. But um, you know, the the limited gets the, gets the uh, the convenience package, which includes the sunroof, LED lamps, um, power uh, driver's seat, uh, heated and cooled front seats. Uh, leather steering, leather trim steering wheel, the Hyundai digital key, uh, and an assortment of other stuff, uh, all as standard equipment. And some of those are available as options on the SEL trim. But even even the base SEL, you know, I think you have an SEL, right? 
Yes, it's uh, we have most of those things. We don't have like adaptive cruise control. There's like weird things. You're like, wait, what does it have this? No, no, it doesn't have that. <laughs> so uh, you do you still you do still get a lot of stuff. And interestingly, I, w- I was looking at the the differences between the SEL and the Limited, and one peculiar thing that stood out to me is you know on the SEL the the SEL you get a uh, standard 8 inch center touchscreen for the infotainment system which is a very good touchscreen it's got Hyundai's uh, interface on there it works works really well Hyundai does a, a great job sourcing their their displays you know unlike some other uh, automakers you know their displays are always very clearly visible even in direct sunlight um, you know good contrast uh, never they never look dim um, and uh, so you get the 8-inch screen on the SEL, and for 2022, they added wireless support for both uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. So you don't actually have to plug in your phone once you've paired it. The Limited has a 10.25-inch screen. It's a little bit bigger, a little wider screen, um, slightly different uh, user interface, graphical interface on the, the infotainment system. But it ha- uh, only has support for wired CarPlay and Android Auto. So you do have to plug in <laughs> your phone by via USB to use CarPlay or Android Auto, uh, even though it's you know on the more expensive car with a bigger screen. But you know, that's a minor inconvenience. Uh, and since, strangely enough, you also get wireless charging on the limited, which you don't get on the SEL. So No, we have SEL- wireless charging. It doesn't work. Oh, <laughs> it's the okay. one thing that doesn't work. We have the little the little logo, it has everything that you should work. But it doesn't. Maybe you know. I'm gonna take it. To, I have to take it to Hyundai and get it fixed. But we do. We have wireless. We have wireless. Maybe uh, they maybe they ran out of chips for that. Maybe um, some but, some automakers have been d- disabling stuff like that where they don't have chips available. Ah, uh, maybe I'll, I'll I'll we haven't. It's it hasn't been an issue. But it's really weird that the 10.5 doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Wireless. Well, yeah. You know, and and especially you know on the wireless. You know, the version that supports wireless Android Auto and CarPlay. You know, that's when you would actually want a wireless charger more because, you know, you t- just take your phone, drop it down Pop on the charging pad. You don't have to plug anything in, you know, but because it's it's projecting stuff to the screen, you know, it is going to have some battery drain. So it's nice to have the wireless pad. You can just drop your phone on there and you're done. But on the, on the, the Limited, where you uh, it comes standard with the wireless charging pad, but you have to plug in your phone anyway to use it with, with the system. So... That's okay. <laughs> so, but it does have the it has a, it does have the more updated um, the more updated HDM the not HDMI the more updated uh, infotainment screen. Right? It, it does, yeah. So, okay. so you get. I wonder like, if there's a software issue with that because we have it, like the it, sort it, of the it, older it, version where yeah. you're like, oh, it doesn't have that like really beautiful like sort of splash screen home screen with yeah. all like, ooh, we don't have that. Yeah, and you know, and and of course, on that that infotainment system on the limited, you of course do get sounds of nature. Which yeah, we don't is, we don't get the coffee shop or yeah. rain or any of well, that. Well, especially That's, on an EV because they're so quiet. You know, having that could, you know, might actually be very pleasant. I was looking for it. I was like, oh, I was all excited. I'm like, oh, we don't have it. Oh, <laughs> it kind of broke my heart that that was the one thing we didn't have. And I was adaptive cruise control. I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm yeah. you know, it's 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 wonderful when you're going on long trips, but for the most part, I only use it to to a to test it, and b for long drives. For the when I'm just driving around, or if I or if I'm stuck in traffic. But the car is really my wife's car, yeah. so I don't typically get stuck in traffic with it. So, yeah. so you know, the Kona is. You know, it's smaller than the Ionic Five is. You know, it's it's a it's a fairly small. It's a it's quite a compact crossover. 
Um, you know, but you know, front seats are, are great. Um, the, the back seats are definitely a little more snug. Uh, you know, somebody your height, Robbie might, might be challenged in the back seat. Uh, that's where the dogs sit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, for, for me, I'm, I'm five, five, 10, five, 11. And I, you know, I kind of just barely fit in there. You know, when I set the front, I set the driver's seat for where I would be, I just barely fit behind that, um, in the, in the back seat. But, you know, for short trips, you know, going out, you know, going out to dinner or whatever, you know, or with kids, uh, you know, if you've got younger kids, they'll be fine back there. Um, and you've got a decent amount of cargo space in the back. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite fun to drive, you know, the 200 horsepower motor, you know, it's got plenty of pickup, not a problem there at all. And it's also very efficient. Uh, you know, it's got a, it's rated at 258 miles of range. Uh, you know, it's been pretty cold here these past several days, uh, although it did get warm briefly yesterday uh got up to almost 60 yesterday morning Ooh. before it dropped back down to 30 again shorts weather yeah um and uh you know so uh because with that cold weather when i when i picked it up from the airport it was fully charged but it was showing 235 miles of range 232 miles i think um but it's it's doing really well you know it's getting like 3.7 3.8 miles per kilowatt hour which is quite good i mean that's that's about as good as anything you're going to find out there today uh and in the cold it's getting that right yeah and, and it's, it's getting that in the cold um, all right and you know in in warm weather where you're not using the heater and things like that uh you could probably get four four miles per kilowatt hour or more which is which is really quite exceptional um uh, and you know, for for an EV that starts at thirty four thousand dollars, you know, to have, you know, almost two hundred and sixty miles of range, you know, is is really impressive. <clears throat> you know, to you know, for pretty much any other car that's got that kind of range, the only other one that gets similar range uh, at that price point is the Chevy Bolt, uh, which you can't actually get right now because they're not building them because all the new batteries they're building are going into replacing the batteries in the bolts are in the, the bolt field. yeah um but uh, the you know the bolt is the closest you're going to get with that kind of range at that price point um everything else uh that's out there that's got that kind of range right now at least is well over 40 grand uh, so you know with the the, the 7500 tax credit on there you, know, you can get this you know down to about 27 you know, twenty-seven and a half uh, thousand, uh, which you know is fantastic. I mean, it's it's actually a really good value, as as you would expect from Hyundai. Um, so, the, uh, you know, I really enjoy this. I, I the last time I had one was a couple of years ago when it first launched, uh, before they did the, the refresh on it, and at that time also happened to be when we were having a, a polar vortex here in Michigan in February, <laughs> and it was actually even colder. It was like seventeen <clears throat> degrees and. You know, I still got, you know, over 200 miles of range out of it then, even in, in those temperatures. So uh, if you're if you're looking for a, a long range, uh, relatively affordable EV, uh, you know, and you don't need a huge amount of space, you know, then the, the Kona Electric is really an awesome option, I think. Yeah, we we um, we were looking at the Bolt because you can get the Bolt for like a nickel if you're a Costco member. Every once in a while, they'll have <laughs> these weird late, like lease options where you can get the Bolt almost as cheap as when you be able to, you used to be able to get the five hundred uh, Fiat five hundred E for like a hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. um, so they had like Bolts for like one fifty something a month uh, a few, about six months ago, and so we we had a Bolt in before it was taken away, 
and we were driving it and my wife's like this this is why is this car riding so rough she's like this is she's like it's not the brz it shouldn't be like this <laughs> and so i was like okay it's so, because i was like you know we, we we wanted to get an ev and so you know i drive around with 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 vehicles with her um because she'd be the the main driver and it, it just kept coming back to the hyundai and after i talked her into hyundai um to just test drive it because she had a, a hyundai excel back in the uh Back in the '90s, which back was, when Hyundai's but, were not something you actually no, wanted to own. No, it was it was a horrible, horrible car. So it took a little bit of of, uh, of convincing just to test drive it, and so finally she drove and she's like, "Oh, I really like this." And now it's it's in our driveway, but it has a flat tire. She ran over. There was like an accident, and like a piece of metal was in the road, and uh, she didn't see it. She ran it over. Now there's this giant like two inch gash in one of the tires, and it's going to take till Tuesday to get a new tire. So it's just sort of sitting there. So she's driving the BRZ. Um, to work the next few days. So she's probably, you know, doing burnouts and stuff. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, oh, actually, the the version, the Kona I have uh, in the driveway right now <clears throat> is actually the limited model. So that is the higher-end model that's loaded. And that one with, including the $1,185 delivery charge, which is relatively low by current standards, um, it's it comes to forty three thousand eight hundred and forty dollars, uh, so that and that's basically all in. You know, I don't think there's really any options, any additional options you can get on that. So this, you know, this is this is good. Um, the only the only thing, the only potential, somewhat potential downside uh, to this is it only has the Kona only has support for seventy five kilowatt charging. So it's not as fast as some of the latest EVs, including the the Ionic five. Um, which will charge up to 230 kilowatts, um, which means it won't charge up quite as fast uh, from a DC fast charger as, as some other newer EVs do. But, you know, for, for most people, that's probably fine. Um, I went uh, to uh, my local neighborhood EA station yesterday and did some charging. Um, and, you know, in about uh, uh, 20 minutes, you know, it added about, um, let's see, it put in about uh it went from 42 to 70 percent uh charge uh you know and again that was in cold weather uh it, you know it was a little over 30 degrees and it started off you know comparatively low at about 40 odd kilowatts and then you know as the battery warmed up it ramped up to uh almost 70 kilowatts uh charging rate so it, it'll still charge at a pretty decent pace uh just not the as fast as the, the ionic the ionic the ionic 5 will charge uh, from 10 to 80 percent charge uh, in 18 minutes uh, on, a, on, a, on a 350 kilowatt charger so that's that's one thing to keep in mind but other than that there's you know there's nothing else I would really complain about on this car 350 kilowatts that's how fast that Kona will charge yeah it won't actually charge quite I that mean, you, fast you can't you it's, it's like getting it's it's that's like when you get gigabit internet like yeah. i have gigabit internet i've never i never hit gigabit speed but it's yeah it's really quick yeah it's so uh so that is the 2022 hyundai kona electric uh so let's dive into a few of the the news items of the week um one of the the big ones that's actually coming out uh Robbie and I have both um, written about this. The stories <clears throat> will be coming out um, on. <coughs> excuse me, before you hear this, but after we're recording this, and um, it's about um, some of the one of the solutions for the transition for connected vehicles from three G to four G. 
and this is this is a problem we've had in the past with connected cars. Uh, as cellular technologies evolve, um, you know, vehicles tend to last a lot longer than devices like smartphones and tablets, uh, and so they they tend to um, you know sometimes uh, you know the the connectivity <clears throat> that they have goes obsolete long before the rest of the car does. Uh, you know, this first happened in 2007 with the first generation of GM OnStar vehicles. Those, those cars had uh, analog uh, cellular connectivity, and that got shut down in 2007. And so those early years of OnStar systems just went bye-bye. They couldn't function anymore. Uh, it happened in the early 2010s with the 2G to 3G transition. Uh, with uh, Nissan, for example, on the Leaf, you know, the first few model years of the Leaf had uh, 2G cellular in there. And when that got shut down around 2015 or 16, um, some of those cars lost connectivity um, when, they, <clears throat> when it went to 3G and 4G. Uh, and now we're having the, the 3G to 4G transition. We're starting in February. Uh, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon will be shutting down their, their 3G networks. Um, and so cars that have 3G radios in them, in some cases, will lose connectivity. Not all of them, uh, but some, some will. And one company that has got a solution for that is Audi uh, for at least some of their cars, um, working with a, a company called Mojio. Um, and, uh, Robbie, did you get a chance to talk to Mojio or Bosch or Audi about I, this? I, I have not. I have not had a chance. I've just, I, I've just been running around like a chicken. I think the, the, the chance I had was while I was going to be behind the wheel of another car, unfortunately. Oh, uh, okay. So I did uh, have a call with uh, uh, Kyle McDonald, who's the uh, VP of Marketing at Mojio, <coughs> and uh, Paul Mulhatra from Audi. Um, and uh, Alan Messer, also from Mojo, and, and uh, somebody from Bosch, uh, whose name unfortunately escapes me at the moment. And we talked about what they're doing. Um, and Mojo has been around for about nine years, I think now, almost 10 years. And they were developed, you know, they had um, OBD2 connectivity dongles uh, that they were selling. You know, they were working through, they, they didn't, they never sold stuff direct to consumer, they went through other companies. And they also have built out a cloud infrastructure and apps uh, to allow you to do some do some of the kinds of things. If you have built-in connectivity like OnStar or Hyundai Blue Link, uh, some of that kind of functionality. But for older cars that don't have it built in, they they have this adapter that plugs into the OBD2 port. And there's been others like this. There was used to be a company called Automatic that did something similar uh, that they did sell direct to consumers. They they've since gone out of business. Uh, and uh, uh, Verizon has off offered a similar <coughs> product uh, made by Delphi that they call Hum. Uh, the Mojo system was available through T-Mobile um, and has a 4G radio in it and, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, and they, I think uh, that the T-Mobile the product is branded as SyncUp Drive. Well, what they're doing with Audi is for uh, several hundred thousand Audi vehicles, they've got an adapter that they've developed. Um, that plugs into the, o the OBD2 port. It's got a 4G radio in it, uh, and it's also uh, got accelerometers in that. And they've worked with Bosch. They've got Bosch's uh, crash detection algorithms built into the firmware of the adapter. Uh, and so it can do things like um, uh, emergency e-call. So if you get into a crash, it can automatically call 911 for you. 
Um, it's also got a Bluetooth connection to the vehicle head unit, so you can use that, uh, do the, the calling from the head unit uh, through this device. Um, and um, it's got, uh, so basically all of the functionality that you currently have with the 3G connection, the telematics connectivity that we have with the 3G connection is replicated through this device, which provides the 4G connectivity. So it's magic. Yeah. Well, it's not magic, but it's 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 better than losing everything, which yeah. is what's 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 happening as 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 time, as technology marches forward. We we sort of things like this are going to probably continue to happen, especially with cars, because we keep them for so long. As opposed to your phone, I have a lot of old phones that I, that won't connect to anything anymore. Which is like whatever. I don't use an old phone, but if I have an old car. And one of the reasons I bought the old car is because I could do certain things that involve the internet. And now I can't do those things because <laughs> they're like, "Yeah, we're getting rid of 3G now." It's, that's a that's a huge bummer. Yeah, uh, you know, I I have a, an older car that has no connectivity at all, and I'm frankly just fine with that. Yeah, but, uh, I, yeah. It's, uh, outside of the Hyundai, everything else is just like doesn't have any connectivity. I mean, the the Jaguar. I mean, it's lucky if the climate control works. Um, and then the 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 BRZ is like, it has something. I don't know what it has. A, it has a built-in map, so it has GPS, but it's got the worst like infotainment system on the face of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> like the the BRZ, the 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 former the previous generation BRZ was not known for great infotainment system. <laughs> No, but it's pretty bad. But I can plug my phone in and it'll play music. And if I really stab hard at the screen, I can skip to the next song. Oh, excellent! I got that going for me. Perfect. Uh, Yeah. So the yeah other other manufacturers are also working on some solutions for this. Uh, Not 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 every car with three G radios is going to be able to be upgraded. I think Toyota and Lexus have said that they're not doing anything with theirs, Uh, but some companies like Subaru are doing some over-the-air updates and providing some some hardware upgrades. Um, GM's doing some stuff with some of their vehicles. Um, so there's there's a bunch of 3G cars out there that will get upgrades. Uh, others won't. Um, Audi and and Mojo have <coughs> said that this one uh, will be available starting in the new year. They've um, they've got a website uh, for it, um, which is uh, the the product is they're calling it. Motion for Audi Connect, uh, and Audi Connect is, is Audi's branding for, the, uh, for their, their connectivity system, for their telematics. Uh, and there's a website called uh, motionforaudiconnect.com where you can go and sign up for information when it becomes available early in the new year. Uh, and then once it, once it, does, uh, once it does roll out, uh, you'll be able – and you can also see on there which cars are eligible for this. Uh, and then that – you'll be able to go to an Audi dealer and have it installed, uh, for you. Um, and, uh, uh, they haven't, they haven't announced pricing yet. Um, but they said it'll be competitive with other similar products and some owners probably won't have to pay any out of pocket costs at all. <laughs> so it probably won't be any more than about $200 at most, uh, which is what some of the other stuff is. And, uh, some, some customers may get it for free. Yeah. It's, I mean, and it's also, you sort of look at, you know, if you have a, a car and it's from an, an automaker, it's like, yeah, we're not going to do anything. It, I wonder if that's going to make you think, well, um, I guess the next car is going to be from someone else who I see <laughs> is doing something. So that, you know, at least 
at least some sort of future proofing of what's going to happen. Because the four, you know, four G is going to go away at some point. LTE is going to go five. You know, five G will come and go. That's just the nature of technology. We'll have like some sort of eight G or something in the far future. But yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're gonna start getting cars with five G probably in the sometime in twenty twenty two. Some of the first vehicles with five G. I think the BMW iX is going to have 5G in it, uh, and, and there'll be others as well, and more rolling out from 2023 and beyond. Uh, I think you know one, one thing that's different now, you know, now that we've gone through this a couple of times, these transitions, you know, when those early transitions happened, the number of vehicles that, were actually, that had connectivity was still relatively small. But now that it's becoming standard on pretty much everything, you know, manufacturers actually, you know, the conversations I've had with various manufacturers, they are taking, they know that, you know, that is something they're going to have to address in the future. And so they're actually designing them to be upgradable uh, in the future so they can more easily replace the, the cellular data module, uh, take that out and put in whatever the current latest generation is at, at some point in the future. Um, and, uh, so hopefully when we do the, you know, when the 4g networks get shut down and that's probably not going to be for another, at least six or seven years, uh, and maybe, maybe longer than that, uh, then, you know, the cars that are built being built today will be able to be upgraded to 5g or 6g or something. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sam, um, yes. because, um, this was something I had to like search for and it took me incredibly too long. The the Kona will charge it up to seventy seven kilowatts. Oh, is it seventy seven kilowatts? Okay. Yeah, just to give you a heads up. So if you want to go right. in and cut that whole part out, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it took me like forever to find it. When even I was like, the Why don't they just put that on the goddamn side? They always just give you a time. I'm like, just give us a number. Just give us a number. Well, the you know, the, the the power <clears> in kilowatts <throat> is not something that's usually that meaningful to most people. They don't. You know, what does it what does it really mean? You know, they, they know it how long them, it takes to fill their gas tank. Yeah, but I think they can if they can look at the thing and it says yeah. this many kilowatts. You're like, how come isn't going faster? But that car's, you know, why is my doing fifty and the other one's doing seventy? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, want to give you. Uh, next up, uh, Ford. Uh, they've they've had some surprise that more success than they anticipated with the Mustang Mach E uh, when they the the Mach E is built in Cuadalan, Mexico, in the plant that used to build <clears throat> Fiestas. Um, and uh, when they, they tooled up the plant uh, last, or, you know, last, yeah, last year to start production at the end of, the end of, 2019, or the end of 2020, um, they initially tooled up, you know, anticipating about 50,000 units a year. Um, then, uh, you know, it turns out sales were, or demand for the car was a lot more than they expected. Uh, so they they had already made plans to increase that in 2022 uh, beyond 50,000, and <laughs> that's split about evenly between uh, supply for North America and Europe. Uh, they have another plant in China that's actually building cars for the Chinese market, and the, the plan had been to uh, in 2023 they were going to launch electric versions of the Ford Explorer and Lincoln Aviator, um, also being built in Quadalon off uh, an upgraded version of the Mach-E platform. Um, that's now been changed. Um, the Aviator and Explorer EVs have been pushed back. They will not be built in Quadalon. And in fact, Ford has decided they, uh, Jim Farley, the CEO, tweeted out the other day that, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to increase production 
uh, of Mach-E to 200,000 units a year in Quadalon. And we're going to build the Aviator and Explorer EVs somewhere else. Um, so those have been pushed back into 2024. Uh, what, what do you think? It, it's a good EV. It's yeah. a pr- The first time I got the, the, the Mach-E, I was, in, I was surprised. Because I was like, okay, this is going to be, you know, it's going to be fine. It was much better than I anticipated. Um, and I think that's, that's sort of, you know, I think between, um, I think a lot of journalists, auto journalists like it. And as word of mouth sort of got out and more and more people started driving, they're like, this is a really good EV. And I think I've, I'm seeing more and more of them on the road. Um, I, we, I drove the GT version a few months back. Time doesn't have any meaning. It could have been a few weeks. I'm not sure. Um, great, great little GT uh, Ford. Um, you can sit there and fight about the name, whether it's a Mustang or not, till the cows come home. It doesn't matter, really. You can just say Mach-E. Um, but it's, yeah, no, I, 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 this is, if, you're, if you have an EV and it's doing really well, the last thing you're going to want to do is, is reduce the amount <laughs> or, or, or just cap the amount you can sell. And it also, you know, I, I'm hearing from people who are looking at Tesla's uh, Model Ys, and they're waiting like six months, a year to get their vehicle um, if they order it. And if Ford can just come in and be like, hey, look at this. You like the Model Y? You should try the Mach-E. And I think that's, it's, I mean, good for Ford for making something, making a good car and good for them for realizing that a lot of people want to buy it. I, ha- I, ha- I did have someone who sent me a message when Car and Driver named it the EV of the year, and they were like, what is this? I'm like, no, no, I completely agree with this. <laughs> That's how good it is. So, yeah, I think it's a smart business move, and it's good for the adoption of EVs. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, you know, I think the, the only <clears throat> concern I have you know, is that because of this change, uh, you know, they're, they're pushing out the launch of the Explorer and Aviator, uh, you know, uh, another year to 18 months. And, you know, I think it would be, uh, it would be good for Ford, you know, especially the Explorer, you know, I mean, that, the Explorer is one of their best selling, not vehicles that isn't an F series pickup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, having an electric vehicle of that type, you know, whether it, you know, whether it looks exactly like the Explorer, a three row SUV, electric SUV, I think would be really good for Ford. Um, you know, and having to move that production to some other plant, you know, it's great, you know, that there's, you know, hopefully enough demand to support that. But, uh, you know, I think it would be better for Ford, you know, if they were able to get that vehicle to market sooner and and maybe they will, maybe, maybe they'll manage to tighten up that timeline and, and, you know, get it out sooner than, than 2024. I think they're, they're big, you know, they're, they're battling, um, the, the ID buzz, the the ID you know the the bus and they're going to be battling the Hyundai Seven and the I forget what the Kia is called but the, the EV Nine EV Nine <laughs> um, so those are sort of the other you know those are, so it has to they have to try to at least beat them or get to the market at the same time as those automakers um, and I think they you know I think they probably do it I think they they're moving pretty quickly with with like I feel like they're moving quickly with their EV stuff than GM GM had the bolt out years ago and then just sort of like do 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 and then they showed us uh their you know Ultium uh two years ago and it's just like okay come on now now we have we have the Hummer that's you know starting production now and the the Lyric coming in the spring and there's going to be a eventually a bunch more stuff that we just haven't seen yet like we're we're going to see the the Silverado EV Silverado in a few weeks yeah. at CES, uh, but even that, you know, they said uh, this week that 
you know, that's not going to launch production until the beginning of 2023. So, you know, they're going to be, you know, nearly a year behind the F-150 Lightning uh, in terms of, you know, launch timing for that. Yeah, they're, they're going to be having Lightning and Rivian and probably on same a same amount of time as the Cybertruck, I'm guessing, at this point. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, you know, and I, I, I right now it still feels like being first is a big deal. Um, eventually it's not going to really matter because there's going to be so many on, on the road, but right now it still feels like if you can get in there and you can get people, you know, dedicated to your brand, especially if you're a, a traditional automaker and, and you, you've, you know, you're trying to win back those Tesla customers and, and those Rivian customers, um, you know, if you can get in there quicker rather than later, it, it's, it's, that's good. Um, and sticking with uh, EVs, you mentioned the, the VW ID buzz a minute ago. Um, there was some news this week out of uh, VW Commercial Vehicles, uh, their Commercial Vehicles Division, which is actually the division of Volkswagen that is going to be responsible, responsible for producing the ID buzz van uh, because they're, they're going to offer it in a couple of different variations. There's going to be a passenger version, more like the, uh, the concept that we saw a few years ago. And there's also going to be a van version, you know, panel van version for deliveries and things like that. And um, they're also doing an autonomous version uh, with Argo's automated driving system that they're going to use as a robo-taxi. But the, the news out of VW commercial vehicles this week is that their plant in Hanover, uh, Germany, that's producing the ID Buzz, will be producing the ID California camper. Squeeze! <laughs> okay so i, I everyone <laughs> loves uh, that's why these things are so expensive even the old broke down ones that i find on ebay or on craigslist are incredibly expensive but like a a, a volkswagen bus that's a camper is just like everyone wants one and now they're going to have an ev version and it'll be interesting to see like how that how that plays out just because you're going out in the middle of nowhere you, you know charging are you going to be using your car to you know your van to to to, to power your Game Boy or whatever. Game Boy, geez, I'm really <laughs> old. Your Switch. <laughs> your Switch. Well, you never know. I mean, you know, the, the, the Buzz has this kind of retro feel to it, retro vibe to it. Maybe you want to play a retro That's game. true. I'm going to get my Xbox 360 out. I'm going to play some um, some Halo. I'm going to get my, my Game Boy out and play some Tetris. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm... I really... The ID... I so many people... Send me tweets and DMs and messages and emails that are, that are friends of mine who are not really car people about, about the ID Buzz. So now, if, if an ID Buzz California camper comes to the United States, oh, people are going to lose their minds. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, you know, my friend Mike Austin, who um, writes for Hemmings now, uh, used to be at Car and Driver and at Haggerty. Uh, he lives not far away from me here. Uh, last year, he bought uh, uh, a Eurovan camper ooh, uh nice blue one and i think that was the last generation that they sold here in north america they've continued to offer the newer versions in, in europe and other parts of the world but they haven't sold them here uh so uh, i think and vw you know granted has not said if the the camper is going to come to north america although the buzz is going to be sold here um you know so i would guess that they probably will offer the camper and yeah, it's not going to be cheap uh, they, ne they never have been, but uh, I think I think it's going to have a lot of appeal. I think a lot of people are going to like it. I think they should have sold. I know the the regular California 
um, is like 106000 or some crazy amount of money. I still think they could have sold at least... 20,000 units here. It's a very expensive car. It's that's a low in you know, it's a low unit vehicle um, But I still think they probably would have sold them especially now if they had decided to do it And then especially with with COVID and like van life the rise of van life I think they would have done gangbusters because there's a lot of people with a lot of money who would have loved to go places But not have to deal with like hotels and airports and you know that sort of thing so I think they I think they can still I think because people have been doing more road trips and have been doing more sort of van camping, um, I think that there, there, there is now a market where maybe there wasn't before. Yeah, you know, if they offer some features like what Rivian's doing with the truck, you know, with the camp kitchen, uh, you know, something like that, I think, you know, that would be really appealing, especially in a van as opposed to a pickup truck. I think a lot of people would, would love that. Uh, so, you know, uh, there, I, I remember a couple of years ago, Jason Torchinsky from Jalopnik did a video review of, of the current generation California camper. Uh, they, for, for some reason, VW had brought some over. They brought them ago. here to yeah. drive. And I, they yeah. invited me, and I couldn't make it, and it was, oh. I was heartbreaking. And I was like, but why? Why would you tease J- us? <laughs> J- Jason did a great review, and I'll, I'll include that video in the, in the show notes so you can check it out. Um, but, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully uh, we do get the camper here in North America. Um, all right. Another EV that is coming um, eventually, maybe, possibly, uh, is the, the Cybertruck, uh, you know, which, you know, when, when it was announced, uh, you know, the same week as the Mach-E, you know, was supposed to come out this year. Maybe it'll come out next year, more likely 2023. Uh, you know, from what I've heard, you know, it's supposed to use uh, Tesla's new larger 4680 battery cells, and they're having trouble scaling up production of those. And, um, so, you know, until until those are ready. Um, although Elon has dropped a couple of uh, news items about uh, the Cybertruck in his uh, Twitter feed recently, he did say that uh, it will not come with any color options. The only the only way you can get it is just like the uh, DeLoreans with bare stainless steel finish. Uh, so you know they'll keep their cost down by not having to have a paint shop yeah. for it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also that uh, the initial version, uh, rather than the three motor system that they originally promised, uh, they originally spec'd out, which is basically the same powertrain that's in the test in the Model S Plaid, uh, is actually going to come with a four motor configuration like the. Uh, uh, like the Rivian, although presumably even more powerful than that. Um, but we we also saw this week uh, uh, somebody uh, flying a drone near a Tesla facility in California, got some photos of um, what may be the second Cybertruck prototype, you know, the original one that was shown. You know, that one was floating around for quite a while, but never, you know, <coughs> never saw any additional ones besides the original uh, concept version. Um now you know this new one has stuff like mirrors and a really big windshield wiper it's so the arm is like bigger than my leg it is it looks so big and but it's one single wiper so it's just like whoosh whoosh and of course you know this it, it's it's you know we're looking at a prototype still um uh but it might you know maybe it's the production rate maybe they'll They'll change it out to two. Maybe they'll find a way to hide it. But right now, it just sits straight up. So while yeah. you're driving, as the driver, 
right there and your 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 vision on the left hand side of the windshield is a giant arm just like whoop. So <laughs> right, right where we to, always have a blind spot anyway for the massive A pillars yeah, on the vehicles. Because so you have the A pillar and the the windshield wiper. So I, I and of course these are spy shots from over, you know, it might uh, eventually sit down and might, you know, they might have a system where they can hide it. They might have a system where there's actually two of them at some point. Uh, but right now it's it's something. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, the problem is, you know, especially when this, if you look at this overhead shot of the truck, you know, the, the windshield is, is massive compared mm-hmm. to most vehicles because it, you know, slopes back. You know, when you look at the, the thing in profile, it's this basically flat surface from the nose all the way up to the peak of the roof. And most of that is the windshield. So you've got this giant, basically almost square windshield. Yeah. You know, unlike, you know, most windshields that are more rectangular, they're, you know, wider than they are tall. This thing is actually might be taller than it is wide or very, it's very close to square. Yeah. And so, you know, in order to get, you know, coverage, you know, to the top of the windshield from the base of the windshield, you really need something like this that stretches really long. Uh, you know, and then, you know, when you do that, you know, unless you've got, you know, if you were to put one on the other side, you know, unless you've got them alternating, one sweeping and then coming oh, back and the back other and one comes forth. down, they're going to be hitting each other. Or if you have them short enough, yeah. And so what you're going to end up with is like a quarter of this windshield is not going to be swept at all. Oh. You know, when you when you look at the arc, this thing's going to go through. Yeah. And also, you know, because nobody makes windshield wiper blades that long, and you know, probably, you know, that would be it'd be hard to make you know to to for that to be reliable a wiper blade this long is probably a a three more than three foot long if you were to do it in one piece it would have to be you know closer you know almost maybe almost four feet long uh you know it's this what they've got is one arm with two wiper blades on it that are kind of staggered Uh, a little bit yeah so it's it's a really peculiar design you know which is kind of a necessity because of the way they've designed the vehicle without you know, really thinking about, you know, some of the, the actual functional aspects of it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it does feel like, hey, I got a great idea. Cool. Oh shoot. We got to put like wiper blades and lights and, you know, we have to, there's all these things that you have to have to a, have on a car that you kind of sort of don't think about until if, unless you're, you know, someone who actually designs cars. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this, it's, it's something. <laughs> it, it's it certainly is. I, I I hope they figure out a way to keep it flat down. If it's like if it's like that, it, a it, it takes away a lot from the design of the vehicle. B I mean that A pillar is already going to be a pain because the the windshield is already so sloped. So now you have this giant A pillar and this thing in your way. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 I'm. You know, I, I mean, as, as someone who was at the event, and I I can guarantee you that. 95% of the people who were there when this vehicle hit the stage thought it was a joke for the first 30 seconds. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and the other, you know, the other problem is, you know, you kind of, you almost have to, because this thing is so massive, the, the wiper blade, you almost have to have it parked in the vertical position instead of down horizontal the way it typically would be, because, you know, there's no, there, you know, on most vehicles, you know, you have, you know, the back edge of the hood, you know, you can kind of tuck it in under the back edge of the hood so it's out of the airstream, you know, 
for this thing, you don't have that. You've just got this continuous surface from the short little stubby hood into the glass. And if you parked it in the horizontal position, the aerodynamics would be terrible. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of the worst of all worlds. They, uh, they almost have to, I think they, I don't know what they're going to do. To be, I keep like, I'm like, well, they're because you you either have to uh, create that little cubby, like you said, between the hood and the windshield, in some way or another, in order to hide this. Because yeah, the, especially if you want this thing, you know, you're, we're putting we're putting four motors in it. Yeah. It's gonna go zero to sixty in some ungodly quick speed. Yeah, you know, that thing's just gonna pop plop off. Yep. Ah, it, it and, and it it really the the cubby would 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 do less to destroy the sort of aesthetics of us than having a big a big giant arm in your way the whole time. I think the arm is 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 bad news for the aesthetics of this vehicle because people are buying it for, yeah. you know, it looks like seventies, the seventies idea of what the future would be like. It's a seventies you know dystopian future vehicle, and if suddenly like the seventies dystopian vehicle just has this big goofy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like arm yeah, on it. Well, there it, you go. Yeah, it's yeah. This 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 is exactly why you know you know we we've always had complaints from people. You know, they see all these cool cars on you know concept cars on auto show stands. It's like, why don't they ever build those? Stuff like this is why they don't build concept cars yeah. the way they look on the auto show stand. You know, because you it, the the design ideas you know always clash with reality. So. Yeah, there's always uh, even when you when you uh, with the X5 or no, I'm sorry, the XM, the um, you know they were like, oh, this is 90% there, but there's a lot of stuff that we have on this concept car that won't pass the muster regulatory wise. Like they had like a smoked glass in the front to put the the the, um, the license plate behind, just for the concept, and they were very like, this would never, this would, yeah, we couldn't do this in the real world. This is only for the concept vehicles. So they were very, BMW was very upfront about. There's a, there's some things on here that we just can't do because it's illegal, yeah. <laughs> or it's just not, you know, it looks cool, but it's just not plausible in the real world. So I think, um, Tesla, I, I know Elon Musk has said, you know, everyone gets really upset when they see this, this, this vehicle. Uh, you know, you see a concept vehicle, and then the production vehicle comes out and doesn't look anything like it. But I think automakers over the past decade or so have really started working on that, where it's like 10% different. It's not like you know drastically different like it used to be. But you, you, I think as an automaker for Tesla, they have to sort of understand that the concept vehicle, you can you can change it a little bit. <laughs> It doesn't have to look exactly like the thing you drove up on stage and put a hole in. This it can it can change a little bit. Yeah. For for the benefit of everyone who wants to buy it. Okay, uh, let's stick with Elon for a minute. Um, <laughs> one of the things going on uh, in Congress right now is you know, this battle over the Build Back Better Act, which includes um, changes to the EV incentive program that we've had since 2010. Uh, you know, the current program uh, allows for f- a federal tax credit of up to $7,500 on EVs, and the, the amount depends on the size of the battery. So at once you get above 16-kilowatt-hour battery pack, um, it, you're maxed out at that $7,500. Uh, and then below that, it's, it's scaled based on the size of the pack. Uh, and it's been limited to the first 200,000 sales for a manufacturer. Once they get past 200,000, they phase it out. Um, Tesla and um, General Motors have already phased out. They no longer have any tax credits available. Um, 
the the new program will lift that 200,000 cap. So they'll be able to get incentives again. Um, there's still $7,500 is the, the base tax credit. Um, but to get that, it's you now have to have a minimum of 40 kilowatt hour battery pack, which, you know, is fine. I mean, you know, that's for modern EVs. That's kind of the, the bottom end. You know, the, the base Nissan Leaf has a 40 kilowatt hour pack. You know, uh, so that would get the $7,500. And everything else is pretty much larger than that now. Um, pl- plug-in hybrids are still eligible, but they also have to hit that 40 kilowatt hour uh, level. And they're limited to, uh, to get a tax credit. They, ha- they can't have a gas tank of more than two and a half gallons. So basically it's more like you know, what BMW did with the i3 range extender where it's really only for emergency use. It's not for you know, your daily driving around uh, like, like the way most plug-in hybrids are probably used. Um, and then in addition to the 7,500, they've added a couple of other things. There's $4,500 additional that's available for EVs that are built in U.S. plants with um, union, union labor which basically means anything, you know, built by Ford, General Motors, or Stellantis in the U.S. Um, and no, no other vehicles right now would be eligible for that, including Tesla. Uh, they would be limited to the $7,500. And then there's another $500 uh, for cars with um, uh, U.S.-built batteries. So conceivably, Tesla and some other manufacturers could get that $500, but not the 4500 so in an interview earlier this week with the Wall Street Journal, with Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal, um, Elon said, you know, oh, we should just get rid of incentives entirely. We don't need them anymore. We've got too much of a budget deficit. Uh, you know, and you know, now that you know, Tesla's got a huge lead in the EV market, um, you know, we, we took advantage of the incentives, built up our market share, and we want to pull up the ladder behind us. Nobody else should get any incentives. Uh, what do you think? It, it it is it is insane that he would that that is some, someone who's who's gotten a lot of support from both federal and state government that he would be like ah we don't need those anymore and the the idea that um, I think he's upset about the 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 union thing which is yeah. weird because I mean people have been trying to unionize a Tesla for a while and you know that's always. That, that, that was a big issue a few years ago. And, of course, you know, as most companies, they don't want a union. They don't want collective bargaining. They don't want solidarity within, their, within the uh, employee ranks in order to help, you know, everyone get a fair shake on, on the floor. So, but, you know, that's, that's, I'm, I'm a big supporter of unions. I think uh, more people should be able to, to collectively bargain uh, with their bosses who are making a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> the gap between really? the average employee and the CEO's pay is sort of ridiculous. And how much money Elon is is worth is is it's for him to like sort of like oh you know, especially after he got all these you know he got he, and then they're like well we paid back our our loans yeah but you got the loans yeah <laughs> that's well you thing. got the loans and you know almost all of whatever profit they've recorded in the last several years has come not from actually building cars but from selling the ZEV tax credits to other manufacturers that haven't been able to sell as many EVs as Tesla has. You know, and that's another subsidy. He didn't, yeah. he didn't mention that particular subsidy, whether that should go away. I mean, if you're going to get rid of the tax credits, you should also get rid of that 
that ability to sell the credits as well. Yeah. So it's 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 sort of it, it's it's extremely hypocritical of him to sort of like, well, we're doing fine. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. doing fine, um, because you because you you were built on the back of the U.S. tax paper, and you know, and that's that's fine. I, if 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 that's if that's what we need to to make the world not as polluted as it was, so people so fewer fewer kids are born, you know, are raised and end up getting asthma because they live near. Uh, you know, freeways or whatnot. Um, cool. Yeah, that's fine. You know, the, the 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 reason we have a government is to protect its to protect the the populace, and protecting the populace and means reducing carbon emissions. And it's it's sort of insane, especially when he's like, well, I think there was a tweet about how well Tesla employees they make a lot of money, and but yeah, last Christmas there was a email out there they were trying to push uh, sales or push production. And part of that push was asking people to volunteer, for employees to volunteer, not get paid between Christmas and New Year's, to help push production, to help move cars around. And there's been times where people have been told, oh, by the way, we're shutting down your line for a few weeks. You'll get paid this much, but these other weeks, I don't know, figure it out. Figure out if you can pick up some extra shifts. If you had a union, that wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> yeah. The idea that you're like your boss just sends you an email and says, oh, by the way, in three weeks, uh, you're not. We don't need you at work, and you can get a little bit of money, but not enough money to, for for that entire time that you're off. That's that's that, that's just that's just, that's a really that's that's a company that needs a union. That's a company that needs someone who's looking out for those employees, and and Tesla has been very anti that. And if again, if that stuff wasn't happening, if everyone had you know, if there wasn't lawsuits against. <laughs> Tesla for for racism for misogyny uh, maybe it would it, and they hadn't been built on the back of government subsidies you could say or look at his tweets and be like all right well at least he's on on brand but no no this is insanely hypocritical for him yeah and uh, you know the the reality is that most likely you know I mean the, this bill has been passed by the the house but it has not passed through the Senate yet and I think that there's a strong probability that the that $4,500 component, at least, you know, for union-built EVs, may get cut from the bill. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that the Senate, especially you know, given that it's more or less 50-50, um, is going to pass that version of it. Um, you know, because there's also a lot of pressure, not just from Tesla, but from other manufacturers. Uh, you know, from pretty much everybody that isn't um, GM, Ford, or Stellantis, you know, uh, is opposed to that part of the the program uh, because none of the you know whether it's you know Hyundai, Kia, Toyota, you know Toyota and Honda have a lot of plants in North America, including in the U.S., none of which are unionized. BMW uh, and and others, none of them like that because they would all lose out on the potential to get that uh that incentive they you know they can get the 7500 but they can't get the that 4500 dollars component so i think that there's a good chance that that's probably going to get cut from the bill anyway yeah and it's, it's a bummer but i also think that the 200,000 cap was sort of unfair it it yeah it, it, it punished tesla and gm for doing a good job <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, hey, good job. We're not going to help you anymore, which was well, I, sort I of think... unfair. Like, I could, I could get a my Hyundai, or if you get, you know, if if you went out and bought an X, MX30 from Mazda, you're going to get a tax credit. Yeah, Mazda's waited forever. If you get, you know, you get a Solterra from Subaru, you get a tax credit. 
but because they just waited for a long time to do this, whereas you know GM and Tesla were like, oh, we are on the forefront. We're we're trying to make the world a better place. You know, either for because they care about humans or they care about profit or whatever. Um, to, to sort of to sort of like, oh, by the way, no more for you. <laughs> well, I mean, the the original rationale there was, you know, they figured that you know once. You know, once manuf- they, well, first of all, they figured that manufacturers would hit that two hundred thousand a lot sooner than than they did, mm-hmm. um, and they figured, okay, by by the time you know every manufacturer is selling two hundred thousand EVs, you know, you'll have enough critical mass, you know, that you you won't have to keep incentivizing them, you know, that that yeah. people will buy EVs regardless, and that just turned out not to be the case. You know, most manufacturers didn't didn't sell EVs as aggressively. As as certainly as Tesla and to a, a far lesser degree, you know, uh, GM did, and they, you know, they um, they, you know, the even even after that, they didn't, ha- you know, there wasn't enough momentum yet. I mean, that's starting to happen now, uh, as we start to get a lot more different EVs in the marketplace, especially uh, in coming in twenty twenty two. But it's we just never had enough, uh, quite enough momentum to to really have it uh, have sales keep going without incentives. Yeah, I think they felt like all the automakers would hit that two hundred thousand cred like limit around the same time, and the reality is it's really just two, and then everyone else is just sort of lagging behind. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, let's see. Uh, I think oh, that's it. Um, yeah, that's that's all the the stories. And then we've got a few listener questions. Uh, start off with Andrew Pappas um, said, "How has the parts shortage slowing car manufacturing affected the companies not experiencing shortages? Are the car makers warehousing parts? Are they canceling orders? Uh, where else is there fallout in the supply chain?" Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it varies. Uh, you know, the, I mean, the the biggest issue for automakers has obviously been on semiconductors and chips. And in some cases, um, some manufacturers, uh, most notably Toyota, um, actually did have you know some bigger stockpiles of chips uh, that they got early on, and that reduced their disruption. Uh, although now they're starting to run out of those parts, and and they're you know they're experiencing more disruptions now than they did earlier on. Um, so you know it it varies uh, it varies across the the, the industry, but. Most of them are being impacted to some degree or another now. You know, others, uh, you know, they're, they've found ways around it by, you know, eliminating the availability of certain features like wireless charging pads and <laughs> super crews and heated seats and touch, touch screens. <laughs> yeah, and touch screens. Yeah, and BMWs. You know, so they're they're taking they're they're leaving out features where they think they can get away with it, or where you know they can perhaps say, "Look, we're going to leave this out now, so we can ship the cars, and we will you know go back and retrofit your car next year whenever we get the parts, and you'll get that feature back." Um, so you know, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of a mixed bag, but pretty much everybody's being impacted to some degree or another. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's tough, especially if you're trying to buy a car. I just keep telling people don't buy a car if you don't have to right now, just because they're so expensive. I mean, I saw the markup of a Rav4 Prime it was like ten. When we were looking for a car, they were ten thousand dollars, and a Toyota dealership that's in the Bay Area that told me at one point they don't ever mark up theirs was seven thousand dollars for a Rav4 Prime. 
which was, you know, the RAV4 Prime was always going to be in short supply the first year. They already they said before the shortage that they were going to be in short supply. So now with the shortage going on, it's it's yeah, it's tough. And that's from again, and that's from a company that was, you know, they had some saved up. So yeah, yeah it's it's yeah, when when it's you're only as quick as your slowest supplier, which is sort of which is a bummer for a lot of these automakers and for people who need, you know, cars and now they're buying used cars and which is, you know, I'm a big fan of buying a used car because you're keeping that vehicle on the road and it's less expensive, but some people need a new some people want the the the, the security of a new vehicle that because they have to get to work every day and um, and I, I completely understand that. Yeah, uh, I feel bad. Uh, somebody in my neighborhood uh, this morning when I was walking my dog, uh, I noticed uh, we had a big windstorm that came through yesterday, 60, 65 mile an hour gusts. And there was a big chunk of tree uh, next to the, of a tree next to their driveway. Uh, that was uh, sitting across the roof of their Ford Taurus uh, this morning. Their Ford uh, Taurus. Yeah, like uh, early two th- early twenty ten. Wow. Um, and uh, crushed basically crushed the roof. Uh, so you know that oh. thing's that thing's going to be a write off, uh, unfortunately. Oh, that you don't see uh, the Taurus uh, number one selling car in America for a while. But I don't. They were like they were pretty disposable. You don't see a lot of Ford Taurus like, rolling yeah. well, around. And this is this is the latest, the last generation. Yeah, Taurus, not not the earlier ones. That's a bummer though. When yeah. you, you you have a car that you're like, hey, this is working for us. It's used. You're the gravy years. You're just fixing little things here and there if you're lucky. Yeah. And then to have that happen, that's ugh. Yeah. So they're gonna have to go find something. Uh, unfortunately. Um, all right, next one, Yakov Nimoy, uh, who we had a fairly long email uh, last week, and <laughs> this one is just slightly less uh, verbose, but uh, let's try and get through it. So this is a continuation of the uh, the discussion we had about uh, keyless entry and, and uh, you know, digital keys and, and key fobs and so on. It says, uh, hey, folks, uh, happy to hear my long rant uh, got airtime in the most recent episode, so thank you for that. I promise this time is – I promise this is brief this time. Well, I, clearly he wrote that before he finished the email. Um, first off, everyone on the show is right in that you all know what's the best setup for yourselves. I don't see keys completely going away, and any decently secure system needs some kind of physical object that you can show your phone app. Uh, yes, this is my car. This is also providing a great way to ha- hand off custody of a vehicle to someone without handing off the whole vehicle. A few things, though. Uh, To be very clear, the phone should connect directly to the car with no cloud in between. I'm actually one of those people who works on the cloud all day long, and I refuse to use any hardware that can't talk directly to my phone at home. Uh, The Internet is just not reliable for this. This is actually a requirement of Apple's HomeKit uh, protocol. I uh, I think we'll see all the smart hardware vendors switch to handling communication entirely locally within the next five years. Everyone is sick of waiting three seconds for lights to turn on. Also regarding iPhones, all your personal data is encrypted on device and it cannot be unlocked without your passcode. When you wipe your phone via the settings app, the device actually just destroys the intermediate encryption keys, so even with your passcode, that encrypted data is unreadable. Uh, I actually recommend using this feature after backing up your phone or computer before sending your expensive gizmo for service and repair to make sure not even Apple employees can access your data on your phone. Android supports similar things, but I'm fuzzy on the details. Uh, keyless entry with a phone isn't something everyone will use, but it does. But if it does work correctly, it enables folks who might have to decide between carrying a key or a phone with them. Even if a phone is bigger than a key fob, there are folks, not me, these people think in ways foreign to me, um, who, who care about carrying the fewest things possible. 
and anything that gets them closer to minimalism is desirable. Lastly, we have the active brace, activity bracelet on our Range Rover. And let's just say, I totally understand these things f fail and hard, and I've nearly stranded my family that way. This future is totally not here. Uh, personally, I wish everyone would do the keypad feature Ford has had for years. Those are all correct. As someone yeah. who used to cover both uh, InfoSec and Home, like the, the connected home and, I guess, the Internet of Things, that is all correct information. So Yakov knows his stuff. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, the, the, the secure, the secure elements on your phone should connect to the secure elements in your car and not have to deal with the cloud. Uh, but I don't think automakers are quite there yet. I think they're still, um, I think they still, they, they, they're excited about the cloud, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like every, like other people were like a couple of years ago. So they're like, yeah, everything can just go through the cloud or like, yeah, everything doesn't need to go through the cloud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that Range Rover bracelet, I tried it once. They they sent me a Range Rover, and I just could not get it to work. Which is, that's and and then that right there, you're like, oh my gosh. Especially if you're if you're someone who likes to do some sort of, uh, I like to surf. Mm -hmm. um, a modern key is a bad scene for surfing, because it's you know it's it's a little computer in your pocket essentially. It's a tiny little you know one job computer in your pocket, and if you get it wet, and now you're stuck at the beach in a wetsuit with a surfboard. And you're like, oh no, my phone's in that car. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, yeah, the the keypad. I, I don't. We we need more keep. My uh, a friend of mine moved his keypad off his Bronco. He took it off one spot and put it somewhere else. Really? You can do that. Yeah. They just they're just they're not like attached to wires or anything. Oh, it's not wired. It's it's wireless. No, you just pull it. You can pull it off and put it somewhere else. And that would be awesome if you could do that with other cars. Like I think more cars should have keypads like the Ford. Where you can just like take it and maybe put it like you know in a, in a little if you don't well if your gas cap or the door doesn't require the car to be unlocked you could put it in there if you could put it um, you could put it maybe under the little cubby of the trunk yeah you I mean could, there's like, always places yeah you there's can always places you could sort of to, to sort of stash it and that way it it, clean, it cleans up the aesthetic of the car but you're still able to, able to get into the car when you don't have your key because you're like boop 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 and that's just, yeah. Yeah, on, on Lincolns, uh, they actually uh, use a capacitive touchpad that's built into the pillar so that when it's off, you don't see it at all. When you, when you touch the pillar, oh, yeah. then, it, then it lights up and, and you can tap the numbers. Uh, so, you know, that, that way they get a cleaner look, but you still have the same functionality. Yeah, see, more, more little buttons that I can just push. Yeah, I mean it's also. I mean that's also an infosec thing because someone could just stand near you and see it, and then wait till the next time you show up to the beach and then steal all your stuff. But yeah, everything's uh, the world's a crazy place. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> all right, last one is from Brianna Wu, um, and uh, clearly, you know, uh, Brianna's got a little too much time and money on her hands. Um, <laughs> thinking about buying a Ferrari California, but worried about reliability. Are they really as bad as their reputation? Uh, that, and I just think they're really beautiful. Um, so I, I have not personally owned a Ferrari, uh, at least not a full-size functional one. I've got a number of, you know, Hot Wheels-sized Ferraris. Um, but uh, um, do you, have you heard anything about the reliability of the California? Um, not the California in general. I think that's because just because they're such a niche uh, automaker. But I do know that if you need any work done to a Ferrari, be prepared to wait a long time. I was doing an Acura NSX uh, video shoot in a 
a gentleman showed up on his very expensive bicycle and he said, oh yeah, I have a Ferrari. And he's like, and we were sort of talking about the difference between Ferrari and, and Acura. I'm like, yeah, this you can just take to the Acura dealership. And there's, they're everywhere. And he was like, yeah, it's going to take me four months to get, my, get an oil change on my Ferrari. And my friend's Ferrari broke and they had to send it back to Italy, which is going to take 18 months for that to happen. And so you, you're sort of like, okay, well, so it's a Ferrari. It's Italian. Italians make beautiful cars. Um, but then there's also, you know, the, and I hate to, to say that there's the reputation of Italian cars not being as, as sturdy as, say, a Porsche 911, which Brianna is a huge fan of. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, I think Brianna's uh, uh, experience with her Porsches is, is, is not going to be uh, the same as her experience with the Ferrari California. And I think, for, again, Ferrari California is beautiful and wonderful, but I think if you, if you can afford a Ferrari California, you have to be able to afford two Ferrari Californias. I think that's that's how. Well, if you have a Ferrari California and four Porsches, then you know you you pretty much got it covered. You're still going to have something something that you can drive every day. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So while the Ferrari's in the shop or in your garage, then you still have your your Porsches. So yeah, and, and you know it sounds like you know it's kind of like when you go to the dentist, you know, for your your biannual cleaning or your semi annual semi annual cleaning. You know, usually, you know, after they finish cleaning your teeth and you have your checkup and everything, you know, then they said you want to schedule, go ahead and schedule your next appointment. It's the same thing when you get an oil change with your Ferrari. You get an oil change and then you meet at the, at the time before you drive away, you schedule your next oil change so that, you know, by the time it's time for that, you're, you're good to go. I, I just like the idea of someone I know having a Ferrari California also. So now I'm just going to tell Brando, you should totally buy it because I want to be able to say, I have a friend who owns a Ferrari California. <laughs> there you go. There, and a bunch of 911s. Answer, and, and, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, if you can afford one, you should be. I think Ferraris in general, Ferrari, any supercar outside of like a Porsche, um, if you can afford one, you should be able to, if you want to buy one, you should be able to afford two of them. Because yeah. there's going to be well, I mean, ch- chances are, you know, even even if you, you know, even if you don't have two of the same thing, you know, if you can afford something like that, chances are you've got other vehicles that yeah. you can choose from. So there's always something available in the garage to drive. Like people and, with uh, Bugattis don't just own a Bugatti. Yeah. <laughs> they have like and, sixty other cars. And you know, it's, it's going you know going back to 2007 when I first interviewed uh, Martin Eberhard, the actual founder of Tesla. Uh, uh, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, the rationale for doing a sports car, the original Tesla Roadster before something somewhat more mainstream. And, you know, that was the argument he made is that, you know, doing uh, an expensive premium car like that, you know, the customers that can afford to buy a car like that and and are willing to buy a car like that tend to be more tolerant of the, the foibles of these kind of expensive cars. And they usually don't have just one car. They usually have multiple cars. So even if it has some issues and has to spend some time in the shop, you know, they, those, those customers are, have a level of tolerance that ordinary consumers like you and I don't have. And so, you know, the, the same thing I think is still very much true today. Yeah, yeah. I think people who bought the first generation Model S were totally like they were very much first adopters and wanted to be on the cutting edge. Uh, but they, those people were more tolerant of any sort of issues that they would have with that vehicle versus a, the person buying a Model Three. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's 
almost everything we have for this week. I also, in my ongoing series of interviews that I did at the LA Auto Show, uh, the latest one um, is uh, with Rob Filipovich, who is the director of product planning for Jaguar Land Rover North America. Rob and I sat in the uh, in the back of one of the brand new fifth generation Range Rovers uh, on the show floor and had a conversation about both about the new Range Rover as well as you know kind of where Jaguar Land Rover is going over the next five, ten years uh, with Jaguar going to be transitioning to all electric uh, from 2025, uh, what Range Rover or the Land Rover brand, including Range Rover and Land Rover vehicles is doing. So stick around uh, to listen to that, some good stuff in there. And uh, we'll talk to you next week with Nicole and we'll talk all about the Hyundai Ionic 5. It's going to be Ionic 5-tastic. I don't <laughs> yes. think that's a word, but it's going to be fun. And pie. We'll talk more about pie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. So let's start off, Rob, with a uh, discussion of this vehicle, the, the new Range Rover. This is what, fifth or sixth generation? Fifth generation. Fifth generation. Yeah. Um, 50 years of Range Rovers. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing how um, you know, the design has evolved, and yet you, know, you look at it and you still see the Range Rover in this thing. You look at it, it's instantly recognizable as a Range Rover. Um, so what what's the overall strategic direction with with Range Rover with this with this particular model? What you know what uh, what are you trying to achieve with this, and, and how are how are you evolving the brand? Yeah, so for us, the key with Range Rover, obviously, it, it is to us the leader in um, luxury SUV. That from our view, it was, it was the original, and it needs to kind of continue to evolve to continue to stay in that leadership role. Um, and so from from the infancy of this product and the new vehicle, it really was about kind of how do we just continue that evolution? Um, and that's where you see that instant recognizability. Um, you'll see a lot of, I think, familiarity on the exterior and the interior, but it's equally how do we just keep making it better? And that is in every single aspect of the vehicle. So obviously, you know, technology is becoming an increasingly important part. Uh, of all vehicles, um, you know, mo- moving towards this idea of the software-defined vehicle. Um, how how is that? Is that something that you're fitting into Range Rover now? And how how's that uh, working out? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and there's multi-faceted, of course. Um, so we have our PIVI Pro system, which we launched in um, the Defender, including including the full software over-the-air capability. Um, now what we're doing is kind of continuing to evolve that and make it even better. So with Range Rover, we're introducing wireless CarPlay, wireless Android Auto, Sirius XM 360L, um, as well as a full Alexa integration. And that's a, a full integration where you can just log into your account in the vehicle, um, and then it's fully connected to your account and, and everything else you have connected to that account as well, from home lighting to garages to um, anything else you have at home. And in the 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 premium SUV utility, you know, whatever term you want to use for, uh, well, I guess first of all, for for Land Rover, do you consider this an SUV or a sport activity vehicle? What what is what is your terminology, your preferred terminology for this? It is absolutely an SUV. Okay, so in the the premium SUV segment is getting increasingly crowded, you know, with um, both. You know, exist, legacy brands moving up into the segment, like Jeep with the the Wagoneer, Grand Wagoneer, you know, I think you know, really trying to challenge uh, Range Rover, 
and then newcomers coming in, particularly from the electrification side, um, you know, with brands like Rivian and uh, Lucid doesn't have their SUV yet, but they, they will next year. Um, how, how do you keep Range Rover, uh, in particular, competitive with all of these challengers? Um, the key for us really is um, that leadership position and continuing to evolve and improve um, the overall formula. Um, and so it's that side of the positive. Sorry about that. No problem. Go ahead. Um, so I think for us it, it really is that end of maintaining that leadership position mm-hmm. and keep it continuing to push it further. Um, and I think competition is always a good thing. Uh, keeps you honest, keeps you getting better all the time. Um, and so for us, I think it's that side of how do we stay that one step ahead and continue to be that kind of that, that pinnacle of SUV luxury and refinement and capability as well when it comes even to off-roading. Um, so I think for us, we, we've kind of really established Range Rover as that ultimate expression of a luxury SUV, and we just need to continue to push it forward. Do you, do you see, uh, you know, especially the new challengers, um, being, um, you know, because their their focus is really on the, in many cases, on the technology side in yep. addition to electrification. How, uh, you know, do, do you see them being a significant threat to the brand? Um, obviously, I think there's, there's threats all over the place um, from some of the incumbent OEMs to, to some of the new generation of, of brands. Um, I think for us, it, again, it's that side of we've obviously kind of established an ex- extremely loyal customer base. Um, I think it's how do we continue to keep them happy and satisfied, not only from the vehicle itself, um, but also from the overall customer experience we give them on a day-to-day basis, um, both through the, our, ourselves as well as the fantastic retail franchise network that we have out there taking care of people. Um, so I think it's, for us, competition's always healthy, um, and it'll just keep making us get better and better and make that customer experience for us keep, keep on getting better and better as well. So let's step back from Range Rover a little bit to Jaguar Land Rover as a whole. Yep. Um, and how how the strategy for the company is evolving. Uh, you know, you launched the iPace a couple of years ago. It had some success, some degree of success. Um, and there was supposed to be an electric XJ, which unfortunately got canceled. How how does uh, JLR move forward? What's what's JLR's place in the world in 2025, 2030? Yeah, so I think. Obviously, two brands, um, two different strategies uh, going forward. I think everything obviously exists under this reimagined strategy that we've announced. Um, as it relates to Jaguar, that's that's an all-electric future. Um, so starting in 2025, we will be all-electric on the Jaguar brand. Um, along with that, we'll be with taking the brand back up market as well. Um, so really establishing it as kind of a, a completely new experience um, and a really kind of a, a new generation of Jaguar. I think that's kind of learns from the past in terms of some of the greatest successes that Jaguar has, but is also completely future thinking. So not not using the history to kind of limit ourselves, but kind of being more inspired by it and kind of going in a new direction for the brand that's ready for the future. Yeah, you know, the Jaguar brand has been fascinating to watch over the years. You know, for a long time, it it was this um, very traditional British luxury 
um, mixed with you know very impressive performance and comfort. Uh, you know, kind of a blend of a lot of things. You know, you got elements, especially on the comfort side, you got elements you didn't get from, say, you know, the German premium mm-hmm. brands. Um, and and then a few years ago, uh, you know, the, the brand lowered prices, uh, tried to get uh, a little more value in the brand. Um, did that? Has that not worked out? And you mentioned going back more more up market. Uh, how far up market do you foresee taking the Jaguar brand? Yeah, it's a. It- Certainly not that it didn't work out. I think it was um, it was a, a time period. I think where for us it certainly brought a lot of conquest. It brought a lot of new people into the brand, um, which was key for us. It was also at a time when the industry was going through a tremendous transition from uh, sedans and, and coupes and convertibles into crossovers and SUVs. Um, and so I think for us it was kind of a, a good period of time where we had some good success with F-Type. Um, F-Pace obviously became our best seller, um, so it's been a very good kind of informative period. I think now it's kind of how do we get the brand ready for the next decade and beyond, um, and that's kind of where it's looking at kind of where we can kind of take that brand again in a different direction um, and kind of have it ready for the future. And I think that's kind of the key for JAG is that it has kind of been constantly evolving over time, and I think kind of there's certainly been some ups and downs in terms of some of the historic product. Um, but I think it's kind of, let's just keep looking forward in terms of what we think and what we know from consumers in terms of what they want out of the Jaguar brand in the future. Is there still a place for cars in the Jaguar brand of 2025, or is it all some flavor of utility? No, I, I think on the whole there's room for all, t- all shapes of vehicles, um, and I think that's the absolute beauty of especially the North American market, but even the global market, is... Um, not everyone is looking for the exact same thing um, and kind of obviously car demand has gone has been reduced um, but there's still plenty of people out there buying cars um, and just as there's plenty of people buying crossovers and SUVs and pickup trucks and everything else so I think it's the beauty of that diversity in, in what people want and then what's within all of that diversity what are the right p- portions of the market we want to go after what what kind of time frame do you see for bringing you know, starting to bring these new EVs to the Jaguar brand. Is that something in the next 12 months, you know, maybe 23, 24 time frame? Yeah. No, so for the for the Jaguar, it'll be 2025. Okay, so by 2025, you're all electric. But yeah. uh, we'll, presumably, we'll, will we start seeing some of those models arriving in the years leading up to that? No, it'll be that time frame. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, kind of what we see today continuing to evolve for the next few years. Yeah, and, when, and even today, we'll, we'll continue to improve the current lineup. And I think as we've been doing over the last few years, um, in terms of the, the major updates we did on the XF and the F pace, mm-hmm. um, I pace, we continue to improve the overall, I think, fit, finish, value experience that you have out of that vehicle as well. And then even F type, just this, this year, we're launching the P450. The, mm-hmm. Um, V8 version as a replacement to both the four and the six cylinder and enhancing the fun and performance of that vehicle. So I think for us it's not about kind of not just waiting. It's really about how do we continue to improve the existing lineup, bring more fans into the brand, and then kind of evolve and, and go into the new generation of Jaguar from there. For those uh, electric vehicles, um, is do you see um, those platforms being developed internally at JLR, or uh, are you looking at partnerships uh, you know, to share the development costs and share componentry, and especially 
you know, with, with with EV as you get into EVs, one of the challenges is it's harder to distinguish uh, and get product differentiation with electric propulsion compared to engines. You know that can sound and feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you, do you see that as as a way to to help spread out some of those costs? Yeah, so I think there's multiple pieces there. I think one, obviously, we're we're big advocates of partnership. Um, so I can't comment on kind of on the future Jags, what will be a part through a partnership, what will be internally developed. Um, but obviously, BMW as an example, we have a relationship and a partnership with. Um, but we're very kind of focused on who are the right partners, what are the right things to do in-house, um, and kind of being able to, to bring together the best minds to, to bring out the best product at the end of the day. Um, so that really is the, the focal point for us of having that right blend of, partnership development as well as kind of the right supply chain um, and then having the right development in-house as well. Um, on the EV side now, I think what's interesting there is there's still a tremendous amount of opportunity in terms of how you even tune those EVs um, that you can create very distinct driving capabilities and very distinct driving experiences as well. Um, and I think that's that next great piece that'll start to evolve, which is how you tune those things dif- differently to get kind of whether it's how the vehicle, the tip-in, the regeneration, again, all of the, the handling dynamics, the steering feel. Um, so I think there's still a huge amount of bandwidth in terms of how you can equally change the way that an EV can feel depending on the product line and the brand. Do, is JLR going to continue to develop the, the in-house Ingenium engine lineup, or you know, you've already for this vehicle you've switched to a BMW-based uh, V8 engine, um, or are you going to transition across your, your engine lineup to BMW-sourced engines uh, going forward? No, no no plan on that. Um, I think we're extremely happy with our Ingenium lineup between the four and six cylinders um, and kind of what we've been able to do with those, the refinement performance and fuel efficiency that they brought. I think on the V8 side, we saw a great opportunity again there to partner with BMW. Um, they had a fantastic engine to start with. Um, and then from there, we were able to kind of take it in our own direction and build it to our own requirements as well, where it's able to take even more uh, uh, abuse, whether it be related to our curb strike test, um, the additional changes that were made to it so that it can, in this vehicle, wade through up to three feet of water. Uh Um, So there's a lot of things that we do still, even within those partnerships, to make sure that it really is a Land Rover engine and a Land Rover execution at the end of the day. Okay. Electrification on the the Land Rover side of the business. Um, you've got mild hybrid. Um, that's I think standard now, right? On on all your powertrains, all your um, or options. It's it's come. a mixture. Okay. Um, so that were P three hundred and Genium four cylinders have mild hybrid, as well as our inline sixes. Um, so we have that, and then we have plug-in hybrid, as right. well as a completely updated pro- plug-in hybrid that's going to be coming in this new Range Rover. Um, and then from there, we'll we'll introduce full, uh, fully electrified Range Rover in 2024. Okay, so that that's when we'll see the first full, full battery electric Range yep. Rover. All right. And is there a time frame for taking the the Land Rover brand vehicles uh, all electric? Uh, you know, Jaguar from 2025. Uh, the rest of the uh, what's the time frame there? Yeah, not not a specific time frame to go fully electric and electric only. Um, but starting in 2024, we'll have the all-electric Range Rover. And, and with, within the kind of four years, five years that follow that, 
we'll have another six fully electrified Land Rovers within the brand. Okay. Um, so it's definitely going to be kind of a, a major expansion of electrification within the Land Rover brand as well. So that 2024, that's based on this vehicle here that yep. we're sitting in. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's see what else. Um, covers most of what I want to talk about. Um, any, anything else, you know, with, with JLR that uh, people should be thinking about, you know, as far as, you know, how, how the, the brands and the vehicles are going to evolve or, or, you know, what, what you want to do with these going forward? Yeah, I, I think fundamental for us is staying true to the brand. Um, and on Land Rover, obviously, the, the most important thing for us is that combination of um, luxury and capability. Um, and that's that side of it's kind of continuing to improve and enhance it and kind of really push it further, whether it be with the Range Rover that we're in now um, or the Defender that we launched last year um, and making sure that we have the right kind of vehicles out there for an extremely diverse group of consumers. Um, and so for us, it'll just be how we push those vehicles further and further every single time, every single year. I guess one, one, one last area I wanted to ask you about is um, motorsports. Um, yeah. You know, Jaguar has a long history of involvement in motorsports and going back many decades. Um, and for the last, what, six years or so, you've been uh, a key participant in Formula E. Um, do you see um, expanding that you know, as as electric motorsports continues to expand, we've got electric GT coming, uh, various other uh, electric formula uh, coming. Do you see uh, a potential for expansion of the Jaguar brand into some other segments of motorsports, or 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 for you know Range Rover, you know maybe something like Extreme E uh, for you know for the Range Rover brand? Is is that uh, something that might be in the cards at some point? Nothing at the moment. The focus for us continues to be on Formula E um, on the on the Jaguar side of the business um, and continuing to kind of improve and, and push ourselves further there. Um, I think there's some other great forums that are building out there. You, you mentioned the Extreme E as one. Um, but at the moment, we don't have any plans to go and enter that. All right. Great. Thank you very much, Rob. No, thank you.